I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly, and joining us for this episode is a comedy writer from the Bay Area, Spencer Brainbridge. You know him on Twitter as at Hercules Woolbury, which is a wonderful handle. <laughs> oh, I'm so I, reg- I regret it at the instant I typed it. But oh, why is that? I, I think it's it. great. Oh, I love it. It gets well, well. Anyway, welcome to the show, Spencer. Thank you. Thank- I'm so excited to be here, Rob. I'm very excited to have you here. This is really cool. I said, yeah, Spencer reached out to me and said how much he liked the show, which, of course, always means I want to have him on because somebody compliments me. I always appreciate that. Spencer, you're a big Dylan fan. Before we get into the song in question, I always ask new guests, like, what's your history with Bob? How did you find your way to the music? Sure. Uh, do you remember this PBS special? I think it was in the late 90s. I would have been maybe in middle school. It was this big PBS history of rock and roll show. Yes, I do. Um, yeah, yeah, it was a multi-episode thing. I remember the opening credits was Purple Haze. That's all I remember. <laughs> uh, except for the fact that they, they, they dedicated almost an entire episode to Dylan. And I remember um, they made a big deal out of um, Like a Rolling Stone. It might have even been like the cold open of the show. The show just went into Like a Rolling Stone. Um, and that's a pretty big song to be hit with all at once. <laughs> and I was you know, probably 12 or 13 or whatever. And I was like, what is this song? I was so, so bowled over by it. And then um, that sort of got my curiosity going because my parents aren't into into Dylan, um, really. Uh, So I kind of had to find him on my own. And then in high school, I'm I'm pretty sure the first album I bought of his was the the first Greatest Hits volume with the silhouette on the cover. Okay, that's a good primer. That's a good way to start, yeah. Very good. In fact, I passed it on to my friend who – I sort of paid it forward. I said, now you will learn the ways of, of Bob. <laughs> and I moved on to, you know, buying all the studio albums. But he brought that up the other day, actually, my friend Alex. He was like, yeah, it's, I hadn't remembered that I'd done that, but I, I passed it along to him. But yeah, that's how I, I, I got into him. Um, the first album I bought new was, would have been Love and Theft. I was a senior in high school. Okay. All right. Another Came out on 9-11, as yes, you recall. It did. And yes, yeah. Yes, I did. I did not go to the mall after school that day. I waited a couple days. I, that's reasonable. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Now the song in question we're talking about is "Thunder on the Mountain," which is the opening track to "Modern Times" from 2006. So why did you want to pick this one? Uh, <clears throat> I was so excited about this album when it came out because uh, it was a long five years mm-hmm. since since uh, "Love and Theft" when when um, this album finally came out. I was, I mean, to give it some perspective, I think Love and Theft came out. I was a senior in high school, and then, um, and then this album came out. I was already graduated from college, so <laughs> I it seemed it like a lot. Longest, of, I believe it's the longest gap he ever had between records. Is the, the five years so. between Love and Theft and Modern Times? Absolutely, yeah. So I was, I was so stoked on it. I was so excited about it, and you know, my Dylan fandom had only multiplied in the in the five years. So I was, I was, I was ready. I was really ready for some new Dylan by this point. Now, what did you, I mean, so when you, when you first got it, what was your impression of Modern Times? Because of, of the ones that he's done uh, as Jack Frost, this is sort of Jack Frost records, this is my favorite. Modern Times is my favorite of all the ones he's been sort of doing in the last 15 years or so. You know, yeah, I, I, I think in my mind, Love and Theft has a slight edge 
maybe it's just because yeah. I associate it with driving around in my pickup truck senior year in high school. I don't know. Um, but I, I like that one a little more. But yeah, Modern Times is is great. I mean, at that point, could we dare hope for a third masterpiece in a row? <laughs> like it was <laughs> it was astounding that it, that it was that good. And I, I was I was blown away. I loved it. And this is the track that I. I mean, it's the opening track, and it's it's the one that I immediately gravitated to. It's probably the one I still play the most off of that record. It is an enormously fun to listen to track. I mean, I remember buying the album. I mean, of course, I bought it the day it came out, and I had not heard this song. Uh, they released another song as a, as like the the sort of preview of it. I forget what song they had released, but it wasn't Thunder on a Mountain. So the first mm-hmm. time I was hearing this was when I bought the album, and the song opens with that sort of just the all the all the musicians sort of coming in. Uh, and there's that slow kind, and then it gets quiet, and then the the drums kick in, and the thing just moves uh, with a great beat. I mean, the, I remember when I first heard it, I thought, "Oh, this, oh, all right, we're all we're off to the races here, Bob. Terrific." It's yeah, really catchy. I, I was gonna ask you, is this the only Dylan song that that really follows the Chuck Berry template? I can't think of another one where he's done that. Well, I mean, I, I am not the person to ask that because I know nothing about how that stuff works. I mean, I know that he's <laughs> stolen lots of other Chuck Berry riffs here and there. But, I mean, that, that little intro, that I don't know. Uh, he's been doing that more and more, these sort of instrumental intros. He did the same thing on uh, Twi- uh, Tempest as well. Uh, but, I mean, this thing just kicks off so well. And, you know, I've been, I've been listening to the song a bunch of times just in preparation for, for this recording. Not that uh, I don't listen to it normally because it is very re-listenable this song mm-hmm. i don't really have any idea what's going on here other than in the basic sense and i've read some interpretations of it and one interpretation of this song uh is that this is bob talking about himself as in the life of a musician uh that because, oh interesting you know because he's he, there's a bunch of lyrics and we'll we can get to them all as we go through it but that one seems to make the most sense because in the first verse he says thunder on the mountain fires on the moon there's a ruckus in the alley, and the sun will be here soon. Today's the day, going to grab my trombone and blow. There's hot stuff here, and it's everywhere I go. It's like, okay, all right, I'm kind of place setting, all right. And then mm-hmm. the, the second verse is the thing that really made this song sort of famous outside of the <laughs> circles. I was thinking about Alicia Keys, couldn't keep from crying. When she was born in Hell's Kitchen, I was living down the line. I'm wondering where in the world Alicia Keys could be. I've been looking for her even clear through Tennessee. That, I mean, yes. that's a, huh? <laughs> like, what is, okay. And There's I, already so much here, and you're only two verses in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I read yeah. a bunch of things about how apparently it was John Mayer that, that called her up and said, did you know that Bob Dylan wrote a song about you? <laughs> She's like, what? What are you talking about? And apparently she's been interviewed. Every interview she gives ever since, she's been asked about this song. Uh, and he, she has no idea why she's mentioned, but she's flattered. Uh, but I mean, I'm it, sure. It really jumps out of you to hear a, a, you know, a modern reference in a Dylan song. Yeah. Well, well, going back a sec, to be fair, I think that's just John Mayer's standard pickup line. <laughs> it's not it's not always true. Um, it seems to be working. No, it's true. And, and, you know, and you've heard the, what, what this is in itself a reference to. Um, the fact that Dylan would write that verse. You, you know the, the Memphis Mini thing? Yes, why don't you explain it? Yeah, so Memphis Mini had a song, the, the, the great blues singer called Ma Rainey, where she sings, I was thinking about Ma Rainey, wonder where Ma Rainey could be. She was born in Georgia. I've been looking for her even been through old Tennessee or something. So, And I didn't, of course, I didn't know that the first hundred times no, I, I heard I the song. Either. I learned that recently. 
And I think that's Bob's way of, of passing the baton. I think mm-hmm. he thinks Memphis Minnie sang a song about who she considered to be a great blues singer. And I think Bob is in his <laughs> unexpected way paying the same kind of tribute. That's the reason for that reference being phrased the way it is. Yeah, I, I absolutely. I think that's true. And I said, I think that that lends credence to the idea that this is a song about Bob in his life as a musician, because again, there's other references to here. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff relating to music, uh, but he talks about he's thunder on the mountain, rolling like a drum, going to sleep over there. That's where the music coming from. I don't need any guide. I already know the way. Remember this. I'm your servant both night and day. And it's, yeah. you know, I'm your servant both night and day. Uh, you know, that to me sounds like it's, that's, that's, a, that's a musician talking to you. That, that yeah. his, his or her work is with you night and day. It reminds me a little bit of What Was It You Wanted, one of those songs where he seems to be talking to us a little yes. bit. Off of Mercy, right? Yeah. What's, and what's that song from Infidels where he says something like, Oh, I, 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 you do something while I still go barefoot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or something. Oh, uh, I and I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's been interpreted as what more do you people want from me, <laughs> in a way. And during the 80s, I think Bob really did feel that way. Uh, yes, I think that's, that's uh, yeah. I guess that's also very true. And and I don't mean to skip down because there's another part of this I really want to get to, but near the, the, the next, the last verse where he sings, everybody's going to go, and I want to go too. Don't want to take a chance with somebody new. I did all I could. I did it right there and then. I've already confessed. No need to confess again. That's, I did my bit, you know? Mm -hmm. I did my bit. I, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily have anything new to reveal to you. Uh, which I think has turned out not to be true necessarily, but that's, I mean, at least in the character he's playing. And it's, yeah, like you mentioned, the, the reference to Alicia Keys is, yeah, he's handing this off to younger people to say, mm-hmm. I did my bit the way I took it from, from Ma Rainey and from all these other people and, and from Memphis Minnie. I'm now handing it off to other people. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, I, my work is here for you, but I'm not necessarily here to keep giving to you over and over again. That's at least that's sort of how I find my way into this song that's really interesting i i i never thought about that interpretation of this song at all um i was reading the lyrics recently and i was i mean i always felt it was apocalyptic Mm. you know what i mean there's a lot of imagery about um thunder on the mountain fires on the moon and then the second line there's a ruckus in the alley and the sun will be here soon i always thought maybe he means capital s-o-n he could be talking about the return of g you know we know bob's a, a jew for jesus (laughs) <laughs> so it, would, it wouldn't be unusual to throw that reference in there. And, but I always thought it was unusual, and this is why this interpretation doesn't totally track, is that he seems to vacillate back and forth between talking about kind of almost a, an end of the world and then his, the implosion of his own romantic life. Because yes. there's a lot of like, I'm, I'm through with you and I tried my best and I'm done. And I don't, there's, a, there's even a line that I love, and I love the way he says it, is uh, I'll say this, I don't give a damn about your dreams. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and again, like according to your interpretation, he could potentially be talking to us. I always thought that he was talking to a lover, and it was it was like a weird um, end of the world slash end of a relationship thing that he was doing. It's possible that it's all these things <laughs> all yeah. at the same time. I mean, this is uh, this is one of those songs that, uh, and I've mentioned before in other songs we've talked we've covered on the, the show, where uh, I refer to these as landmines, where Dylan will write a line, and when I hear it the first time i kind of go what does that mean i don't i don't know and then years later that line now has a different meaning 
or it has a mm. meaning. It has a meaning now that it couldn't have had at the time, but it has a meaning now. And the line, the, there's two. I have two favorite lines. Usually, in, in every Dylan song, there's one line I can distill to. But this this thing has two. But the the one that really jumped out at me again the first time I heard it was about midway through the song. And you're then this is talking about your sort of apocalyptic view because there's a lot of implied violence or implied turmoil going right. on here. And the, the verse I'm talking about, and this is, it makes me laugh at the rhyme scheme. He says, going to raise me an army. <laughs> yeah, so you know what it is, right. I know what you're going to say. Gonna, yeah. gonna raise, That's probably my favorite, yeah. too. Go ahead. Going to raise me an army, some tough sons of bitches. I'll recruit my army from the orphanages. Now, when I first heard that line, I laughed because it's a great rhyme, rhyming bitches right. with orphanages. I didn't know what it meant, but I know what it means now. I know what it means now uh, because there's a lot of resistance going on and there's a there's a lot of turmoil going on in america right this very second and there's this idea of building an army from the cast-offs the refugees uh you know to 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 copy to to quote another one of his songs you know the strung out ones and worse from the you know the whole every person in the whole wide universe i mean to me, that's what this resistance is that's going on in the streets, literally in the streets of America. And I'm going to raise my army from – they're going to be a bunch of tough sons of bitches, and I'm going to raise them from the orphanages. I mean to me, that's what that line's about. It can't be about that because he wrote it in 2006. Right. That, that's what it's about now. That's what I hear in my head. Well, and that's what it always comes down to, isn't it? Is we we don't and can't know what Bob was thinking. Right. It, the song means what it means the moment we hear it, every time we hear it, and that'll change. And that's why Bob never sings a song the same way twice, because he knows that it'll never mean the same thing every time to every person. Right. So yeah, have you heard some of the some of the more nine eleven related um, interpretations? Because this was his first batch of new songs. After that. That's right. So there's, you know, ladies in Washington trying to get out of town, and um, what is it, roll your airplane down is one of Looks the lines. Looks like something I, bad going to happen, better roll your airplane down. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but I, I I will listen to that theory. I was reading about it. I thought it was interesting. Hmm. Yeah, no, I had not heard that. That's, yeah, that, it's, again, you know, it's it's... And this is one of the, you know, this is why Bob has always resisted the idea of there having being any one particular meeting, because who knows what came into his head in any given moment that sounded good and and gave him the feeling that he was trying to convey, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. And what what, what it meant to him at the time doesn't, he can't possibly explain to you, you know, it might have been a person that walked by that, that, you know, walked by him in a, in a restaurant and that gave him an idea. You can't possibly know what that is, so you have no. to put in your own interpretation to it. And you said you, you mentioned the line about all the ladies of Washington scrambling to get out of town. That suggests to me sort of you know something bad's going to happen. Well, all the sort of fair maidens are getting the hell out of Dodge uh, right. when something really nasty is about to happen, and it's happening in Washington again. Here we are, bad stuff yeah, happening I in know. Washington. Uh, and then my the the, the last verse, uh, and again this this. I feel like it ties back in a little to the whole line about the orphanages. He says, I'm going to make a lot of money, going to go up north. I'll plant and I'll harvest what the earth brings forth. The hammer's on the table, the pitchfork's on the shelf. For the love of God, you ought to take pity on yourself. I'll plant and I'll harvest what the earth brings forth is 
the idea of, at least to me, again, you know, doing the work that's going to spring later on. You know, like you're this is, you're, this you're is putting, post wasteland. Yeah, Bob is planning yeah. for the wasteland. Yeah. Right, you're, he, he's planting yeah. seeds that are going to bear fruit later on down the line. And then the third line: the hammers on the table, the pitchforks on the shelf, the tools that you need are there. They're available to you. The hammer's on the table. The pitchfork's on the shelf. You can just grab it. Uh, right. It reminds me a little bit of, I think it's a, a line from, of all people, Karl Marx at the time of the, of the Russian Revolution where Karl Marx said the power was on the street. The power was laying on the street. You just needed for someone to come by and pick it up. And that's what that oh. means to me. And again, I, I – I keep bringing it back to this modern events, modern times, <laughs> as it were. But I mean, you know, the power that we all need to change what we want to change is there. It's in front of us. You have to just pick it up and use it. And that's yeah. Bob is telling you that. And maybe, the, you know, his music will be the soundtrack to that effort. Who knows? But it's up to us. The pitchfork's on the shelf. Yeah, yeah, this whole song sounds like a call to arms to me, uh, even though it can't be the call to arms that he have, that I'm thinking of, of course. Right, and and you know, like I said, though, like every every second or third verse, he goes back to singing about his love life, <laughs> which is an interesting thing. <laughs> Never far from uh, his mind. Yeah, well, and and like you make a great point about that last verse. I think that is the only verse that I think really would work as the last verse. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the other verses seem like they could go in different orders. Um, I read something really interesting recently. There's this guy, Chris Shaw. He's the engineer who I think, I think he's engineered all of the Jack Frost records, or at least oh, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. Okay. a few of them. I, I, there was this article, this interview in Uncut, the, the UK magazine, and he was talking about how Dylan likes to change the order of verses in post-production. Have you ever heard that? I, this is new to me. Not that particular, no. Oh. Yeah, no. I, it's that Chris Shaw said, yeah, he likes to – Sometimes they'll go through the song and they'll say, no, no, make the second verse the fourth verse and switch it around. And Bob was really resistant to go digital. I think Modern Times was the first album recorded digitally. Wow. And Chris Shaw said, yeah, Dylan was um, reluctant to go digital because he thinks records sound like crap these days and he, he didn't like the idea. <laughs> and then I basically told him, he's like, well, Bob, if we, if we edit it and reorder the verses, it'll take 10 seconds instead of, instead of all day because the editing is that much faster. And he said Bob got excited about being able to, <laughs> to edit the verses faster. So this is something wow. that he, you know, you don't think of Bob as ever doing any kind of post production. No. But this is something that he apparently likes to do, and I, I, I had no idea. And so now, whenever I hear any of these late period songs, I think, God, is this? Is this did they re-edit the order of the verses? You know, we'll never know. No. But a song like this really makes you think about that. That's very interesting. I did not know that. I would love to read. I love reading any interviews with people about working with him in the studio. I find that endlessly fascinating. Yeah. Oh, Uncut has a ton of that stuff. They have a bunch of articles of, of people who worked on like all the recent records. Oh, I got to dig those up because those are it's great. Those, yeah. those are really. I love all that stuff. I read a an interview with uh, I think I think Jim Gilmore. I think was the name of the guitarist who he worked on um, with time on Time Out of Mind. And I've read that interview a thousand times because it's just – it's a worm's eye view of working with Bob Dylan and just the idea. Mm-hmm. Like he talks about being out in the parking lot and talking about Elvis, you know, and he was like still talking about Elvis. Oh, gee, you know what? Now that you say the Elvis, there's an explicit reference to Elvis in this song. Uh, yes, the, ki- the king, right? Yeah. He says, I'll, one day I'll stand beside my king. Oh, come on. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, yeah well, 
This is the second time in a row he did that because I think it was Love and Theft had that song Summer Days where he says, I'm, I'm standing on the table and proposing a toast to the king. And, if, and I think if I'd never heard that song, I never would have heard this reference and thought that it was Elvis. I would have thought that it was this weird, you know, apocalyptic, vaguely Game of Thrones world that this song <laughs> seems to take place in. But now I think you're right. I think it's, I think he's talking about I mean, it's a rock and roll song. Yeah. Elvis it's a still 50s looms, rock and roll song. Yeah, Elvis looms still very large in, in Dylan's imagination. And that was what, in this interview, that he was talking about. He said that he was still marveling at some of the sound of Elvis's records. And he said, you know, thank God, this is, you know, 30 years later after those records were put out. And he's still kind of going on about them. So, yeah, that I got to dig that out. That sounds like a great interview. I mean, like I said, that would be fascinating to to watch the man sit there and labor on these songs, you know, uh, I, I, I think, and again, I think I mentioned before on the, on the show, one of the things that I really like about when these records come out is when he includes a photo of himself with the band. And when I don't get one, I feel a little cheated because I want to see him in the band. <laughs> I love photos of him because they look like a bunch of gangsters. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and it just looks like the coolest gig in, in the universe is to be working with Bob Dylan in the studio. So, well, yeah, th- well, there's that song Dirty World where he says, right. I want to introduce you to the other members of my gang. And I'm just like, oh, I want to be in that gang <laughs> so bad. Yeah, that's, that is the coolest group ever. You know, it yeah. really is. But yeah, this is this song is just it kicks the album off the way an album should be. It's rollicking. It gives you a lot to think about. It's got a whole lot of I mean, it's. It's it's peppy, you know, and upbeat, but yet it's got that said, as you mentioned, the sort of dark apocalyptic vision and things like that. So it has all the Dylan interplots that you're sort of used to, and yet it's really catchy, you know. Uh, it's yeah. really very powerful, and the um, there is a video for this. They did release it as a single, whatever even that means anymore in, in this modern age. And all it is is just clips of Dylan from different ages. They didn't really bother to come up with any sort of particular vision for the video. It's just clips of Bob singing from you know the 60s all the way through modern again modern times but uh yeah, yeah it's it's a hell of a way to open the record and it's just, it's well, a great song less involvement on his part for sure uh you know you mentioned that this yeah this album and uh, tempest both kind of start off with a almost like a, a musical count-in yeah and i wonder if that's because bob is so he's just in constant touring mode these days mm-hmm. i wonder if he he seems to in his head program the albums like it's a show you know what I mean? Like it yeah. starts like it sounds like the beginning of a show, and I think he's so concert centric these days. He spends more hours of his life on stage than he does in the studio, yep. certainly these days. So I wonder if that's his mindset when he's programming an album. That's an interesting idea. They need to do one where we literally have the guy introing him. You know, just have the voiceover guy saying, "And now, welcome, right, right. Columbia recording artist Bob Dylan." Speaking of in concert, uh, this song has been has born so far has been performed 598 times. In, in only a decade. In only, yeah, eight years. So this is obviously something that Bob really enjoys playing because that's, that's quite a lot for, a, for a, you know, only the last eight years. Have you ever seen uh, Dylan live? Yeah, once in 2002 at the Greek Theater in Berkeley. Okay. Um, the, this is, you know, this big outdoor, not that big actually, but this outdoor Greek amphitheater. Uh, it's very, very cool. And um, if you, for some reason, didn't know what marijuana smelled like, <laughs> I've got a great place for you to go to learn what marijuana smells like. This is the Greek theater in Berkeley at a Dylan show. No, but it was great. It was, um, yeah, so this album hadn't come out yet. So, but he was, he, the most recent stuff he was doing was stuff from Love and Theft, which I loved because I was still listening to that all the time. Um, and what I remember about that show is that he did two Warren Zevon songs. Oh, right, when he was doing the, the before when Warren Zevon was sick. 
it was yeah, it was when Sivan was 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 kind of in his last year of his life. I yeah. think he'd announced that he was he was sick. So he did uh, Mutineer and he oh. did um, he did Accidentally Like a Martyr. Oh boy. Which was amazing, and it, I don't know if you've experienced this with seeing Dylan live, but when he sings covers, he's clearer. Yes, yes. <laughs> he takes more care with other people's songs than his own. So the other song, you know, he did just like a woman, and I didn't understand a word of it until <laughs> like the third, the third chorus, because he changed the str- the melody and the rhythm. So he sang the chorus like this. It was like, and she breaks, long pause, just like a woman. <laughs> it was so strange. <laughs> So his own songs were just, you know, Bob, you know, live Bob, right, what we come right. to expect on occasion. And then when he did those covers, it was crystal clear. He did Brown Sugar by the Stones, which yes, I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was amazing. It was, it was a good show. I have a, I have a bootleg of him singing Mutineer, and it's beautiful. It's be- and you're right, it is. His diction is crystal clear on that, and yet it's yeah. a wonderful ongoing tribute to Warren Zevon. That's that's amazing. I never knew that he did Accidentally Like a Martyr. I like that song, too. That's terrific. Yeah, M- Mutineer's the one that showed up on the Zevon tribute that's right. charity record, but yeah. I think I don't think Accidentally Like a Martyr's been released. I would love to hear that again. Mm. Why there is no live album of Dylan of, of the last 20 years is still astounding to me, that they're just... Is, there is no Dylan live album with his current band. He's been with these guys. It's amazing. I don't know why. You know, come on, Sony. What are you doing? Put the put every the now and then they'll throw us like a like a bone, like one or two tracks off yeah. of um, Telltale Signs. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, I don't know why that's not a thing. But yeah, so this is this is absolutely terrific song. Modern Times, absolutely wonderful album. Everything, first song to the end, great. But this is this is a terrific song. So. Uh, Spencer, thank you so much for coming on to talk about this. I love this song, and I was really excited when you said this is one of the ones you wanted to do. I immediately jumped on I was like, yeah, Thunder on the Mountain, absolutely. So thank you for, for doing this. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Actually, can I say one more thing sure, real quick? Sure, of course. About this. So I was digging through my email. This is from 2006. Um, Slate had a contest. I can't remember what the prize was. Obviously, I didn't win. But Slate Online did a contest where it was, here's the new Dylan song. It's called Thunder on the Mountain. If you can answer these Dylan trivia questions and write your own verse of Thunder on the Mountain, we'll give you a prize. We'll give a prize to the best one. What the? Um, I am am neither a a talented songwriter, nor did I win the contest. (laughs) But I did find my verse. (laughs) Oh, okay. All right. Come on. Do you want to hear this? Absolutely. At the risk of embarrassing myself. This is not good, but... My verse, and I don't know where it would fit in the song. Thunder on the mountain, it's a floodin' in the south. Know a pretty little woman with a sailor's mouth. She don't know me, and I guess she never will. Got my eyes on her, gonna go in for the kill. <laughs> I like it. I like it. It doesn't. It, it completely baffles me, which is, means it would fit in the song quite well. It means absolutely nothing. There's some light misogyny, and it's. <laughs> I'm talking about flooding. It's just it's just a Bob pastiche, but. I didn't win. Is the is the point? But I, I, I admire <laughs> you for trying. I really do. Uh, a, I'm so glad I still have that. That's yeah, fun. that's terrific. Oh, that's cool. You didn't mention that you had that. That's great. That's that's wonderful. Yeah. That's it's uh, yeah. I would have been too intimidated to try something like that. I probably would have just given like two words. Like I can't do this. And just give it up. So, you know, well, you know, if if it's terrible, it's just a slate intern that'll ever see it. So there you go. Perfect. So yeah. Uh, anyway, thank you so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. This was really uh, great uh, talking to you. Uh, where can people find you on the Internet, or where can people find you in the Bay Area? Because you're a performer as well, correct? Yeah, my sketch group, The Mess, we perform uh, sketch comedy around the Bay Area. Uh, you can find out what we're up to or what I'm up to uh, on Twitter, like you mentioned, at uh, Hercules Wilbury. <laughs> 
I think that's a great handle. I don't know why you're so upset with it. And I can't change it now because I said it on a podcast. But uh, There you go. That's where you can find me. All right. Very cool. We'll have that in the show notes. So we're not going to end the show just yet. Uh, we're going to have a couple of the things that I want to talk about. We're going to listen to a couple of um, podcast promos, and we'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles. <laughs> Hi, I'm Tim from Cord Industries, the Blue Beetle blog. I'm here to tell you about an exciting new addition to the Silver and Gold family of podcasts. The show is Beatlemania, and it focuses on what is arguably one of the greatest superheroes in all of comics history, Blue Beetle. From the adventures of Dan Garrett the cop in the 1930s to Dan Garrett the archaeologist in the 1960s, from everyone's favorite Ted Cord to the more recent adventures of Jaime Reyes, We'll be covering the entire legacy of the Blue Beetle. And I won't be doing it alone. Joining me for this epic journey through the lives of the Blue Beetle will be Jay from the Silver and Gold Podcast. Together, we'll be discussing, reviewing, and celebrating the awesomeness of all of the Beatles. Beatlemania, coming soon to SNGpod.com and cordindustries.blogspot.com. I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And we want to ask you an important question. Are you sick and tired of other panel discussion shows wasting your time droning on and on about foreign policy, economics, and human rights? Or do you want to hear conversations about things that actually matter? We host a podcast called Radio vs. the Martians. Every month we gather a panel of our nation's finest minds and plunge a rusty prison shank into the heart of tough questions that have an impact on the lives of real people like you. Like, are drivers required to pull over for the Ghostbusters? Is the United Federation of Planets actually an oppressive dictatorship run by guidance counselors? Is Arnold Schwarzenegger secretly a genius? And are we being mean when we laugh at movies that are so bad they're good? So write your congressman and let them know that Radio vs. the Martians is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and on RadioVsTheMartians.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, before I sign off on this episode of Pod Dylan, I just wanted to talk a little bit about some news. Uh, since the last episode of Pod Dylan, we had the announcement there is going to be a new Bob Dylan album. Uh, as I had no idea this was coming. Uh, I don't pay too terribly attention to, like, what's going on with him on a day-to-day basis, but uh, I had no uh, idea that there was another one of these coming. And then, boom, all of a sudden, there's the news that Bob Dylan is releasing another album in March called Triplicate. It is going to be his first triple album. <laughs> man is 75 years old. He's putting out a triple album. And it is going to be uh, another series, in case, in this case, uh, three series, of the sort of standards covers that he's been doing, which he did in Shadows in the Night and Fallen Angels. And, you know, I've seen some articles already about kind of bemoaning, you know, like, what are you, more of these? You know, and I have to admit... You know, I think the last episode that I that we did, I'm trying to remember which one it was, uh, where uh, me and my guest talked about Fallen Angels briefly. And you know, I, while I were while I have been enjoying these albums, I, I was certainly ready for him to kind of leave this experiment behind. And you know, the news that he's not only releasing yet another album of these, he's doing a triple album. You know, I okay, I wasn't you know, it wasn't the greatest news I've ever heard. At the same time. Anytime Bob Dylan wants to release an album, I'm going to get excited. The man could have rested on his laurels long ago. 
I mean, he really could have stopped recording as of 1969, and he would still be a legendary figure. But the fact that he's still out there creating and he still feels like he has something to say is um, – I find that very rewarding and, and very uh, heroic in many ways. And while obviously what I prefer, you know, a new album of, of new songs – Yes, uh, especially, you know, I mean, people are kind of, some older fans of his are looking to him as like, you know, we're living in a very turbulent time, very turbulent time. And who wouldn't want to hear, you know, Bob Dylan's thoughts on on this time? But that's not where uh, he's at. And one of the things that, you know, people have loved about Bob Dylan is that he follows his muse wherever it leads him. And sometimes it's led him into places where people didn't want him to go, whether it was country rock or Christian rock or, or electronica or whatever you want to call it. But uh, the man, you know, follows, you know, follows his muse. And this is what, where's, where, he, where he's at right now is, is doing these standards. And I have to say, when I saw him in concert last year, uh, the, I thought all the standards that he recorded, at least almost half the show was were these old older songs. They were really outstanding. I mean, and in fact, I would say they worked better in live performance than they have on the record. Uh, he really brings a, a level of passion to them that's quite beautiful. And he clearly cares a lot about what he's doing. This is this means a lot to him, and so that's why he's he's doing more and more of them. Now, it, see, it would seem to suggest to me that, you know, and I said this after the last one, going, Clearly could be wrong, but it, after doing a triple album of these, where else is there to go? You know, I mean, if, at this point, he will have covered fifty of these songs. Uh, you know, how, how much more is there left to do? Um, but you never know with Bob Dylan. But but I, anyway, I, I just wanted to talk about it briefly. I'm excited to hear about it. Um, you know, the songs that he has written in his past are still out there. I mean, kind of what we were just talking about the previous segment with Thunder on the Mountain, which is the whole idea of the, uh, you know, the pitchforks on the shelf, the hammers on the table. You know, if you want to use a Bob Dylan song to talk about what's going on in the world, you can. The, the, the tools are there. The pitchforks are on the shelf. Um, you know, there's already been covers of some of his most famous songs as commentary as to what's going on in the world. I mean, I think Billy Bragg rewrote uh, the lyrics to Times Are Changing. And release that, and so another musicians are, are doing similar things with with covers of Dylan songs. So you know, there's 500 Dylan songs out there, and I guess right now he just doesn't have the impetus to put pen to paper and write new songs. People have been suggesting that since his last album was called Tempest, and that is the name of Shakespeare's last play, that that, that was Bob sort of winking that that was going to be his last collection of songs. I don't know. I don't think Bob really plans that far ahead. I think he just sort of, you know, I think years ago he had talked about uh, privately that he wasn't planning on writing any new songs, and then boom, one day he got the inspiration, and we ended up with Time Out of Mind, and since then we've gotten four or five albums of extraordinary music since then. So who's to say what was it was in, in Dylan's future? So I'm grateful for anything that he wants to share. So I'm excited about Triplicate. Uh, it's, it's, again, it's a bold move. For a man who's 75 years old to be putting out a triple album, <laughs> it's just really remarkable. And so I'm looking forward to hearing it. And uh, so, Bob, thank you so much. You know, the fact we've had a, a new Bob Dylan album every year for the past three years is, is uh, an amazing gift to everybody. So 
So that's triplicate. So we will be talking about it on the show at some point when it uh, down the line. He said it comes out on March 31st. So that's pretty much it I have to say about triplicate. Really cool. Check it out. And I'm going to give uh, a re-listen to Shadows of the Night and Fallen Angels and sort of see where they are, where I am with them uh, now that the, now that they're sort of you know part of the canon. I mean, every time there's a new album, I always you know think, is this it? Is this going to be the last album? Who knows what can happen? And then. You know, once he puts out news of another album, you're like, oh, okay, well, now Fallen Angels is no longer potentially the last Dylan album. It's part of the canon. It's just part of his uh, the, the giant edifice that is his recording history. So now we're going to have to deal with uh, Triplicate when it comes out. So so anyway, uh, that's going to be it for this episode. Thanks so much to Spencer Brainbridge for coming in to talk about Thunder on the Mountain. That was a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to have him back soon. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, until the next episode, I guess we will see you then. Bye.